I want us to, tonight, every week we've been kind of just either praying the Lord's Prayer, reading the Lord's Prayer, but I want us to read it again, and I want us to continue to remember that the last two weeks we've been talking about basically adoration. We've been talking about adoring Him as God, as our Father, um, as His name holy. And so when we come to God, I think maybe what Jesus is trying to teach us here in the model prayer is not, hey, you need to pray these words exactly every time you come to pray but maybe just this idea that every time we come even to the throne room of God, that maybe we just need to stop and recognize and acknowledge who He is first before we bring, you know, our list and we start scrolling off, God, would you work here? Would you do this? Would you heal this person? Would you fix this? You know, would you get me a job? Would you help this person? Instead of coming right off the bat, maybe God's saying, you know what, how about you just come and, and sit before me and just, just praise me. To a lot of people, that sounds selfish of God. But I love what David Platt said, and me and Carlton talked about this a few weeks ago. Carlton said, who else would we praise? Would we praise ourselves? <laughs> I mean, think about this. We're talking about the creator of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords. He's the only one that deserves any kind of praise. And so when we come in our prayer, maybe... Maybe we, we jump too fast into what we want and what we need and we don't spend enough time just praising Him for who He is. Not for what He's done, but just for who He is. And we talked about thinking through the characteristics of God. Maybe just praying through the names of God. Maybe praying through the Scriptures. So I, I want to encourage you to think through this. As we talk about this, this not just being another Bible study, but this helping us to strengthen our prayer lives and, and not to say, okay, you know what? I really want to see God do some miracles in my life. No. God, I just, want to, I just want to be close to you. I just want to know you. And when we come in prayer, we come to know God in a personal way that, that nobody else, nobody else can know. I think one of the greatest disciplines that a Christian has is reading the Bible. Second to that is prayer. I think a lot of times we skip our Bible reading and we go straight to prayer. And, and, and I think we need to do both. And I think there are two great disciplines in our life that a lot of times as Christians we, we ignore. Prayer is important that we come to Him. And we talked about adoration. Worship Him. And so tonight we're going to be talking about the authority that God has. And not about just worshiping Him, but secondly, surrendering to Him. So I want us to, to read this, and I want us to think through that as we read it. And then we're going to watch this video, and we'll come back and we'll talk through some scriptures. So let's read this together out loud with me. Ready? This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Watch this video, and I'm going to come back in a second. Welcome back to the study of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6, right in the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount. I love that, that Jesus, in the middle of this great sermon, talks about prayer. I believe that it's right in the middle because... Prayer is central for everything that we do. And we've really been enjoying some great texts. Today we're going to look at Jesus' words, your kingdom come, your will be done. I believe these are prayers of both petition and also praying intercessory prayers for other people. Petition means that you're asking God to let his kingdom come in your life, let his will be done in your life. And then when you intercede for other people, you're saying, Lord, I want your will and your kingdom to come in their lives and in these situations as well. That's what we're going to talk about today. Don't you want the will of God? Don't you just want to surrender and say, God, whatever you want in my life, your will be done. That's what we're talking about today, and it's going to be an exciting lesson. God bless you as you participate today. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored. Honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. 
forgive us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from the evil one. So after the first petition that addresses the matter of adoration, the second set of petitions shift us from adoration to authority. The first matter of prayer really is God's name, God's glory, God's honor. But God's glory and honor are directly tied to the matter of authority. God's name is to be hallowed because God is in charge. That's the fundamental truth of the kingdom of God. It is not some geopolitical kingdom as we understand it. It is rule. And the truth is that God has established his throne in the heavens, says the psalmist, and his kingdom rules over all. Prayer, in an effective sense, is meaningless if God is not in charge. Some say, if God is sovereign, why, why pray? The answer to that question is a question. If God is not sovereign, why pray? If God is not able to fix things, to change situations, to meet needs, why pray? We begin in our prayers after honoring God's name by recognizing that God rules over heaven and earth. This helps us not only to pray about our personal matters, but to pray about issues of poverty and sin and racism and corruption and trouble in the world around us. Really tie this petition to Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy that first and foremost, the saints ought to be praying in the church for kings and all those in authority. We can pray trusting that our prayers can affect the highest halls of authority because the one to whom we pray is the one who reigns over heaven and earth. When I think the thought or pray the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, two things immediately occur. First of all, the Bible from beginning to end is about God's kingdom. Uh, he is king. He's the king of kings. And his kingdom is his rule and reign, both in our lives and on the earth. And one day, ultimately, on the new earth. So throughout the Old Testament, we see these examples of his coming kingdom. Then when Jesus, of course, is born, his kingdom is present here among us. And so all of his teaching, almost all the parables are about the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom is about everything. I mean, he is the king. He is sovereign Lord of lords, and he's ruler of everything. So his kingdom is coming in its final form when he returns to set up his visible kingdom of new heaven and new earth. But in this interim time, in a sense, in the time we live now and we pray this phrase, we need to understand that his kingdom is already present among those who follow him. So Jesus tells us that we ought to pray and ask the Lord for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. In trying to understand what that means, one of the questions that we ought to be asking is, well, what is the kingdom of God? What, what then does it really mean for the kingdom of God to come? Well, the kingdom of God is not necessarily a physical time and place per se. The kingdom of God is that realm in which the rule and the reign of God is lovingly embraced and followed. So the kingdom comes in our lives when we are surrendered to the will of God, when we're dying each day to our own desires like Jesus told us to. That's, we're embracing the kingdom of God in our own lives when we do that. But we're also praying not only that the kingdom would, would come and the will of God would be done, we're not only asking that for our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own decisions, we're asking that for the world. So as we're asking that, one of the ways that we respond to faith is that we actually pursue the kingdom of God. So we pray for the kingdom of God to come and for the will of God to be done, and then we act in faith by doing the things that are actually tangible examples of the rule and the reign of God. It means we do simple things like caring for our neighbors. Uh, it means that we are in the Word every day so that we can actually know what the will of God is in order to walk in it. It means that we care deeply for people who can't care for themselves, for the widows, for orphans, for the unborn. This is a means by which we are actually backing up our prayers 
with action that show that we actually believe that God is going to do what we ask him to do when we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. When Jesus challenges the disciples, pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we're thinking as Western American Christians that that's when the second coming of Christ happens, right? We start praying, Jesus, come back, save the world, redeem your saints, and that's a part of it. But when you understand how the Hebrew language works, it really makes this phrase come alive. For example, what I think Jesus is saying here is what's called in Hebrew a parallelism. Uh, and basically a parallelism are two lines that are synonymous with one another. So it's basically saying the same thing. So it's kind of like in the Old Testament when it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet or a light unto my path. It's the same exact thing. Basically the light is shining so that you can see. I think what Jesus is saying here is not just pray for me to come back, which is part of it. What he's saying is this, and this is really changing the way we think about prayer. What he says is, when the will of God is done, when you obey me, when you serve me, when you follow me, the kingdom comes. And so in a sense, we as New Testament, New Covenant believers, when we pray for Jesus, your will be done in my life, the kingdom comes through us. And so we become ambassadors to him. It's kind of like a, a cheerleader uh, with a football team. If you imagine cheerleaders kind of cheering the football team on, they get the crowd to cheer the football team on. That's in a sense what we're doing. When we're praying, Jesus, your will be done in our life, in a sense, we're cheering God on. God, make your kingdom manifest in our life. We're going to submit to you as subjects to a king. And when we submit to you as subjects, the will of God, the kingdom of God is displayed in our life for all to see. Trying to understand what it means to pray, uh, may God's kingdom come and may God's will be done. We have to understand that the kingdom of God represents the ruling presence of Jesus, his reigning power all over the universe. And so when we are asking for the kingdom of God to come in situations of life, then we are asking that the ruling presence of Jesus that already exists would exist in this very moment, for this very season, for this specific time in my life. It is so important when we understand what even Jesus talked about, about us having the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those keys unlock the power to understanding the ruling presence of Jesus all over this world. And so when we petition the Lord, when we cry out to God, when we talk to God, and there are many times we'll do this. And sometimes we do it out of, out of rote or out of knowing what the Scripture says, and we may not understand what it is. But I believe personally that it's understanding the ruling presence of Jesus taking over in a situation. And there is never a situation where we do not need the ruling presence of Jesus to take place. It's, it's personal, your personal relationship uh, with Jesus Christ through the blood that he shed for you to redeem you, to adopt you into God's family. But it's also for the purpose of you and I becoming a conduit, being ambassadors for Christ to bring others to know him. So the grace we live is the grace we display. And when people see us living in that grace and we verbalize that grace, it really does uh, open an opportunity for them to think, well, that could happen to me too. When we say thy will be done, your will be done, we're saying that even when things don't work out the way that I think they're supposed to, I'm still safe and secure because I'm trusting that I'm resting in the hands of a, of a good, good father. And so the two of them together, um, your kingdom come and your will be done, are going to um, put you in the right posture of both petitioning in prayer as well as submission in prayer. Um, kingdom, you know, does that mean that, that, are we talking personal? Are we talking, my, it, the answer is all the above. I mean, what Jesus died to bring was the kingdom, and the kingdom is peace. It is shalom. When I'm seeing the kingdom come in my kid's life, it means that they are walking with Jesus and they're glorifying him. When the kingdom comes in my marriage, it means that my wife and I are loving each other the way that Jesus loves us. Um, I am praying for the inbreaking of the kingdom in every possible way, and I'm trusting that the goodwill of the Heavenly Father supersedes my will, and that sometimes the way God shows love for me is by giving me what um, I would have asked for if I knew what he knew. Your kingdom come is, is both global and personal to me. 
the other day, I had the hardest day. We had flown back from Haiti. I was sick as a dog. Then the dog had gotten sick on my new rug. It was just a rough day. And praying, oh, Lord, your kingdom come, to me reminded me, you know what, this isn't all there is. This day, this really hard day, is in the context of him redeeming all things. This is just this tiny point on redemptive narrative. And so for me, it's about today. It's about my bad days. It's also about my great days to remember that this is all part of this grander, amazing narrative of him making all things new. But it's also about global tumult. You know, I watch CNN or I read the news and go, oh, Jesus, come quickly. We desperately need mercy. The, the world is crying out in birth pains, desperate for your redemption. So to me, it's both. It's both and to say your kingdom come. I need his kingdom come in my life today. I need to remember this isn't all there is. I'm just an alien and stranger here, especially when I'm wearing Spanx and I'm having a bad hair day. Um, More importantly, to look at the context of God's absolute goodness, that he is good and he does good, even when life is hard, that this isn't all there is in light of trauma and hardship. So I think it's a both and God's kingdom coming. I think the kingdom is about the world and it's about us, but mostly I think it's about us. The kingdom expands on the kind of people that are in the kingdom. And, uh, you know, when we're praying for the kingdom of God to come, we are really asking God to make us instruments in a partnership with other people that are praying these same prayers to multiply the kingdom. What we've narrowed prayer down to is, Lord, bless my church, bless my family, bless my choir, bless my Sunday school class, and that is not kingdom-minded. We've also narrowed it down to, we never pray for the church across the street. We never pray for the other pastors in town. We never pray for the other churches, God to bless them. We've so narrowed prayer down to, we want God to bless our church, that we think that we're in competition with the other churches in town that are all preaching the name of Jesus, that all believe that salvation is in the name of Christ, but we think they're our competition. And they're not our competition. They're a part of building the kingdom. And until we get that mentality, we won't know how to cooperate. We won't know how to partner together. The sad thing is the only time we ever think kingdom is in tragedies. When a tragedy hits, a storm, a natural disaster, a school shooting, then all of a sudden we start thinking kingdom. Oh, the churches need to come together. The prayer of Jesus is you should already be together so that when the tragedies come, your kingdom is expanded in a greater way because we're already working together for the kingdom, not for our agenda, not for our name on some program, but so that the kingdom of God is expanded. When I am asking the Lord in prayer to allow his kingdom to come in my life on earth as it is in heaven, I'm saying, you're king. So consequently, I'm submitting to his will, whatever that may be. That means I take whatever my will was, whatever I thought I wanted God to do in this particular situation, and I offer it to him as I offer myself as a living sacrifice. And that means I'm a burnt offering. I put everything on the altar. I hold absolutely nothing back. And the burnt offering was completely consumed. (laughs) So I'm saying, Lord, I offer it all to you. And I really do only want your will. Sometimes it's difficult for us to understand or discern God's will because it is so different from what we think we want in the natural. But I've lived long enough to know, as I look back, that what God willed and what God brought about was the best not only for me, but to bring glory and honor to him and to help me grow in my relationship with him as well. You know, the theme uh, kingdom of God is very, very prevalent in the Gospels. And uh, there's a lot of confusion about that. Some people would argue that the kingdom is a futuristic thing uh, totally and that we are longing for that because there's no kingdom present now. Uh, There are others, on the other hand, who say, well, the kingdom is here and even some would even say it's here in all of its fullness. Uh, and we're not to necessarily look for anything more uh, in the days ahead. I think both of those extremes are wrong. Uh, The kingdom is present, but it's also not yet. In fact, theologians love to speak of the kingdom as present but not yet. It's here because the king has come, uh, and the king has inaugurated his kingdom. But for the full glory and manifestation of that kingdom, we still hope uh, and we still pray. So we're, in essence, asking God to bring to fruition and to its fullness 
what we already enjoy. In fact, there's a song that when I was a little boy that we uh, would sing regularly that I think captures it really well. Uh, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So the kingdom is already here right now, and yet what we have now is a foretaste of the ultimate glory that will be ours when Christ comes again and establishes his eternal kingdom. When I think about the kingdom of God, especially as it is in heaven, I think of perfection. I think of um, where there's there's no suffering, there's no evil, and and where we have the favor and the blessing and the power and the goodness of God. And so we oftentimes we get excited about that. We pray for that kingdom, uh, but with the kingdom comes the king. And it, I can tell you there have been so many times in my life where I have wanted God's kingdom to come, but my hands have been so tightly clenched where I didn't want the king of that kingdom to change my plans or to redirect or where he was asking me to offer something up in worship or to lay something down that I desperately wanted to cling to. And I remember um, very specifically one time in particular where it was a career dream and it was just dying. And I just wept and I wanted, in my prayer, I wanted God as part of his kingdom to change and fix this for me. But instead he wanted me to surrender to him, the king. And it reminds me of what uh, Jesus talks about in uh, John's gospel where he says, if you love me, you will obey me. And we can't ask or even demand the things of the kingdom if we're not obeying and surrendered to the king. You know, prayer is not something we just do. It's something that gives us a greater footsteps in the path of the Lord. So we pray so that we can live things out. We're not, we, we can't have a, uh, a fork in the road. Where we go, well, I pray on this day, and then I do whatever I want on that day. It's not that we're to pray and then be disobedient. And actually, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about husbands in particular. And it says, treat your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers will not be hindered. So they draws a tie with our obedience and the hindering of our prayers. Now, how God operates with hindered prayers and all that, that's, I don't know. That's his sovereign way of doing what he does. We're all disobedient at some level. But we want our prayer life to give us greater obedience, not greater hypocrisy. Because what happens when we're praying and we're not living it, it's confusing. It's hypocritical. It's confusing to us. Even in our own hearts, we're like, ah, I want to... Yeah. It's confusing to other people. They look and they hear these prayers and they don't, well, what's the deal? They're not really living it. It's kind of like the Pharisees in the gospel. They pray these grand prayers on the city street corners so that everybody would hear them, but everybody's like, but those guys aren't even living it. So it's very important that we connect our obedience and our prayers together so that our prayers are helping us to live things out. When we feel tempted to not live it out, what do we do? We pray. Say, Lord, keep me from this. The Lord's prayer even, you know, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. So he's praying and giving us an example of prayer that when we get tempted to not live it out, pray, and then we're going to be able to live it out. And those two things go hand in hand, prayer and obedience. Click together so that we get to know the Lord better, our lives are more usable to him, and there's no hypocrisy in those. batteries died. I, I love that statement that he shared at the end, that our lives are more usable. Um, what if we went to the Lord in our prayers with that, with that perspective, that idea, the reason I come to him in my prayers, to help me to be more obedient, be more usable by God, instead of God, I just need you to do stuff for me. Um, I, I want us to, to learn a few things tonight, and we're going to kind of walk through God's kingdom. I think I'm on now. We need to learn to embrace God's kingdom. The definition of embrace is to hold closely in one's arms is often a sign of affection. So this is the question I want to ask you. What do our prayers truly reveal 
about our hearts? Give me some answers. What, what do our prayers, and this could be negative or positive, what do our prayers truly reveal about our hearts? What's important to us? So that could be good or bad, right? Either, either God is important or the stuff in our life is important. So what's important to us? What else? Selfishness. What else? Yeah. Faith in God. I, I don't know why I do a lot of negative sometimes, but sometimes even our lack of faith, right? So either our faith in God, how much faith we have in Him, or the lack thereof. What else? This, this idea, the kingdom, a lot of times we think beyond, and, and they shared this in the video. They talk a lot about this, this idea of the kingdom. And you read the New Testament, the word kingdom, and, and Jesus talks about it a lot. I mean, there's tons of stories we could go to tonight. I want you to turn to Luke 17, because I think this is one thing that we, we need to, to grasp tonight in our prayers, is the kingdom is not only future, the kingdom is not only an inheritance, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but the kingdom is here. In Luke chapter 17, verse, starting verse 20, it says this, Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because, and this is the words of Jesus, because the kingdom of God is what? Within you or in your midst. This is Jesus. Another time we're going to look at later, the disciples ask when, and Jesus defers that and turns to something else. And so there's this idea of Jesus saying, listen, yeah, that's coming. And, and he talks about the kingdom coming. He talks about the signs. But, but there's an idea that the, the people were missing. He said, listen, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is within you. Embrace the fact that the kingdom is in you. Listen to this. I think this was in the video. I wrote this down. The kingdom is where we live by faith in Christ and fully give ourselves to the purposes of God. Say that again. The kingdom is where we live by faith in Christ and fully give ourselves to the purpose of God. The kingdom is within you. That's powerful. This is not something we're just waiting on and that, that we're itching that God come, God come back, kingdom come. Say, no, the kingdom is here in front of you, with you. Embrace it. You all know, I don't say all of you, but most of you know this verse, Matthew 6, 33. What does Jesus say? Seek first kingdom, his kingdom. How can we begin to embrace God's kingdom today? How do we begin to embrace it? How do we begin to, to, to make our prayer, is, they're, they're the priorities, I guess lining up our priorities. I mean, there's a lot of things in our lives that maybe, maybe we need to start knocking things down. This is not as important anymore. And sometimes in our prayer life, we think, God, this is number one. God, this is what I want you to do first. Maybe we need to come look at it from a, a, a kingdom perspective and say, according to the kingdom, is this most important? According to God's kingdom, according to what God wants to do in and through me today, is this top priority? Or maybe God's trying to show me something else. Our prayers can reveal a lot about us, can't they? How shallow we are, how faithful we are. I think a lot of times we just get up in the morning, we just pray, and we don't even think about our prayers become such a habit now that it's just, it, we just, we recite them. Ever caught yourself just saying the same words? Not personal. Embracing God's kingdom. The kingdom is where we live by faith. 
Here's the second thing. We need to learn this. We need to learn to understand God's will. Understand God's will. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. And, and this, is, this is a really good verse. And, um, we talk about understanding God's will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to read all of them. Verse 1, starting here. He says, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality, that that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that, that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And in, in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. My point here is this. It's not so much that this is what we need, only need to be living this part, this passage out. But understanding God's will is this. That listen, maybe we just need to focus more on doing what we know instead of looking for what we don't know. You see the, the, the question there? Uh, we put it this way. Do you agree with the statement that we should focus our prayers on doing what we know is God's will rather than discovering what we don't know? How many, this is student ministry 101. If you work with students, you're gonna get this. And usually around high school, they begin to ask this question. I'm just praying, what is God's will for my life? You know what I'm talking about? And you got students, you, you had I'm praying, God, what is your, and some of you in here, we, we do this, right? God, what is your will for my life? I, I've come to a crossroad in life and I got this decision, I got this decision. God, what is your will for my life? And oftentimes our prayers are focused on that instead of focusing on the things that we know we should be doing. He instructed you how to live. I wrote this down. Read the word and you'll know how to pray. You know what, I believe this, that if we begin to, to read God's word, digging into God's word, God begin to expose sin in our life and then we'll know, okay, God, I need, to, I need to work here. This is your will for my life. This is what you wanna do in me and through me. And, and, and I can't, if I can't work on this, if I can't change this, if I can't fix this through your Holy Spirit, then you know what? You're not gonna be able to use me here. Yeah, I'm praying for this miracle. I'm praying for you to do this big in my life. But God's saying, listen, Chris, I can't because you're not being obedient here. Our prayers, we need to learn to understand God's will. Oftentimes, we're, we're trying to figure out God's will for our life, and we're missing what God's will really is for our life. He's told us. We're waiting for God to give us this billboard and this huge sign of, here's my will for your life, and God said, no, it's right here. It's right here. I really believe that if our church began to spend more time in this and less time on this, the hand of God began to use his people like he he really wants to. More time reading God's word and seeing and understanding God's will rather than just praying, God, what's your will for my life? Here's number three. In our prayers, we need to learn to submit to God's will. I want to ask you this. Before we go to the verse, I want to ask you this. What's one specific situation you're struggling right now to surrender to God and to his will? I want you to think of that. I don't want you to say it out loud. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's a struggle you've had. What is the one thing right now that you're struggling with that you're saying, you know what, God, I know I need to submit. I know I need to surrender this to you, but I just can't let go. God saying, maybe God saying tonight is, hey, how about you just submit to the authority of the Lord? Go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26.
chapter 26, verse 39. Somebody just read that one verse for me. You've heard this so many times. You've heard this prayer. You, you've probably memorized this prayer. You've probably heard sermons on this prayer. But think about this idea. Here Jesus is. He knows what he's come to earth for. He knows what God has brought him here for. To this very exact moment, he knows. Yet Jesus comes and says, you can take this away. And maybe in Jesus, he's thinking in his mind, if you can do this another way. But then Jesus stops and he surrenders his will and submits to the will of God. And he says, but not my will. Yours be done. How many times in our prayers have we been stopped in our track like Jesus? I mean, think about this. We're talking about same sentence. Second sentence, he goes, if it is possible, it. How many times in our prayers has God stopped us and says, you know what? I hear you, Chris. I hear what you're saying. All I'm asking, just submit, surrender. He says, not my will, but yours, Father. What's that one thing that you're struggling with and you're holding on to and that we we have a hard time surrendering to God's will because we think my will is best or my will is a little bit more comfortable or, or what I want is what needs to be done? Then think about this. What part of you must die to pray your will be done? What part of, of you You need to begin setting to the side and saying, God, not my will. Lord, please take my will away. My desires. My desires. What else gets in the way of of me surrendering to God's will? Let's talk about that. Scared. Fear. Wow. Wow. Habits, pride, take all those things you've mentioned, put those in the life of Jesus. Jesus would have experienced any of those. Think of what would have happened. I'm not trying to put us in the shoes of Jesus, but I'm saying this, that there has to be a point in our life where we surrender our will to his completely. In our prayers especially, if we want to see the hand of God move in a mighty way according to his will, we have to begin to take fear out of it. We have to begin to take our own bad habits out of it. We have to take our desires out of it and say, God, your desires, your will take control of my life. God, yeah, the, I'm praying for this in my family. I'm praying for this certain thing. God, not my will, but yours be done. Not what I desire, not what I want. God, only what you want. Listen to me. This is where it gets hard. We have to then, number four, trust God's will. I mean, think about this. Sometimes surrendering in our heads is easier than number four, trusting, right? I can say, yes, God, your will, not my will. It's simple. But then what comes next? Somebody last week brought something up to me and afterwards, and I thought, yeah, you know what? That's a perfect picture of this. But he brought up the life of Job. I want you to go to Job chapter 42. I love this verse. Think of the life of Job. Job lost almost everything in his life. Job goes through all the pain and suffering. 
the grief. I'm not sure one man has really ever suffered as much as Job has in, in the period of time that Job suffered. And Job goes through all this and questioning God and asking questions and God comes back and says all these different things. This is what Job's reply is at the end. Listen to this. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. Hear hear this from Job. I know that you can do all things. Don't you think in the back of his mind still, I mean, he's he's festering with with bulls all over his body. He's lost his family. He's lost his, his, uh, his... all of his animals and all of his... I mean, everything's gone. He says, I know you can do all things. I don't, I don't know if he was like truly sincere now, if that was sarcastic, but he says, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, Job said. Who am I to speak? Because I don't even understand a lot of what I spoke about. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. This is verse five. Listen to this. Job says this. My ears had heard of you, but now what? My eyes have seen you. The beautiful picture of all of a sudden Job began to trust God's will. I mean, all through this time, I don't think Job is really getting it. You know? Job's suffering through this, and yeah, he never, it says that he never sinned, and, 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 you know, God won, Satan lost, and it was a great victory, you know, but Job's still through all this, Job's kind of the bad, the guy that, that, that really suffered for it, and all of a sudden he gets to the end, and he goes, I had heard of you. When he says that, I had heard of you, he had heard all the stories of who God was and what God had done, but now... Because I've seen you, I can trust your will, God. Can I fully understand what you're doing here and why you made me go through all this? No, but I can't trust you. Not only heard of you, God, but now I can see you with my own eyes. And he says this, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Submitting to God's will is one thing, but getting to a point, even in our prayers, where we begin to just trust God's will is another ball game, is it not? When God begins to do things, when God begins to answer my prayers, and I don't understand why he's giving me the answers that I don't want, I put this under here, this question. Look at that. Do I simply want God to do what I want or to do what is best? Let me, let me just ask, by a show of hands, how many in here would rather God do what you want or what God thinks is best? Okay, first, what, what you want. What God thinks is best. Kind of silly, isn't it? When, when we say it out loud like that, it's stupid. But when we get in our prayer closet and we begin, begin to pray and we begin to ask God, God, you've got to answer this. You've got to do this. This is what has to be done. And God's saying, Chris, no, I'm, I'm working over here and doing this. Trust me. Or, or, or maybe he's telling me, Chris, it's not time yet. Maybe he's saying, Chris, you don't need to understand fully right now. But what you do need to do is trust me. You need to trust me. Famous verse, most of us probably could quote, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What is it? Trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on my understanding. Think about that. Can I ask you a question, and, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong. How many of you have, have an easy time reciting Scripture? I mean, you know, you... And read, I mean, just, we read it, and I can say it all day long, right? How many of you have a hard time really living the scriptures we recite on a daily basis? Trusting in the Lord with all our heart. You simply want God to do what you want when you pray. Trusting God, you know what's best. God, I'm going I'm to surrender to your will, submit to you. 
going to do the things I know that I should be doing. I'm going to be obedient in what I know to be obedient in. And I'm just going to trust you with the rest. In the, in the area of my life and the things in my life that I don't understand, that I don't get, that I'm not sure about, and I'm still wondering, trust in you, God. Because, you know what? I've not only heard of you, I've seen you. I mean, how many in this, in this room, raise your hand, how many in this room have seen God move in your life? Raise your hand. How many of you have seen God move in someone else's life? Raise your hand. You've not only heard the stories of God from this pulpit and what God's done in, in Old Testament times and New Testament times, but we've seen God over and over and over do miracles, not only in our own life, but in the lives of our family members and the lives of our friends. And the reason I bring that up is this. That should show us that he can be trusted. Maybe the problem is my perspective on what God should do is getting in the way of what God really wants to do. Maybe sometimes in my prayer, the answer that I'm not getting is the answer that I really need. We embrace God's kingdom. We understand God's will. We submit to God's will. And we must simply trust God's will. I want to read something as we close. This is the last blank. I think it just says kingdom come. And they talked about this in the video. They said that the kingdom is here, but not yet reality. The kingdom is here, but not yet fully realized. And, and, and I read this little, in, in the Bible say, I read this little paragraph, and I thought, this is a great picture of what we're experiencing now as Christians, as a part of the kingdom now, but yet not understanding fully what is to come of the kingdom. So listen to this. The kingdom of God is an already, but not yet reality. Think of it like this. Two important historical dates mark the end of World War II. The first date is remembered as D-Day, June 6, 1944, when the Allied powers stormed the beach at Normandy. They effectively broke the back of the Axis powers by taking the beach. The Allies secured the victory. and It was just a matter of time until the war was over. However, the official war continued until what? May 7th through 8th, 1945 when the Allied powers accepted the unconditional full surrender of Germany. That's when the fighting completely stopped. Now listen to this. Almost a full year of fighting, shooting, and casualties took place between the time victory was secured and the time when victory was declared. Although the victory was sure, there were still battles to be fought in the meantime. Christians are living in that meantime. is that good? We as Christians are living in that meantime in a spiritual sense. Jesus brought the kingdom with him and he has secured the ultimate victory. I want you to get this. This is, this is how we're going to close. He secured the ultimate victory for God's kingdom through his death and resurrection. But that victory won't be fully realized until when? Jesus returns. Meantime, Christians are the representatives of the kingdom of God on earth. That means the values, priorities, and goals of the kingdom should be fully represented in the church. When people look at the church, they should see a visual representation of what the kingdom of God will be like when Jesus comes back. I put this last question on here, and I want you to think about this, because we think about the kingdom. What is the purpose of the kingdom? God, what are you doing with your representatives of the kingdom? What is your will for our life? What is it you want us to be about? And I put this last one. It says this. How would your prayer life be different if you saw the work of the Great Commission as your primary focus in life? Go to Acts chapter 2 real quick. I want to show you this. We talked a while ago how Jesus oftentimes deferred his disciples or the Pharisees from when they asked one question, he would go somewhere else. But in Acts chapter 1, did I say 2? Acts chapter 1. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the what? Kingdom of God. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Guess what? What if our prayers and our focus of our prayers turn from everything that we thought was important, everything that we want done, all of our desires, all of our wants and wishes, and we turn it to what God wants and what God desires? That's for people to know Him. You think about it. Is the whole purpose. His kingdom coming here, then yet fully realizing his kingdom later. He called us all to focus on the one thing that is most important to him, and that is that others will know that Jesus Christ died, rose again. Our job as kingdom representatives. Tell others about the kingdom that he has given us. In Matthew, another place, it talks about, he says, come. As he separates the sheep from the goats, he says, come and take your inheritance. And you know what he says after that? The kingdom. This great inheritance you have inherited is the kingdom of God. What if our prayers turn from focusing on what I want for my kingdom and started focusing on what he desires for his kingdom? Rendering to his authority in our life and to his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he says. Pray with me, Father God, thank you. Lord, that we can trust you, that you can be trusted. Lord, not just to give us good things. Lord, this is not just about you blessing us and giving us good stuff and God, we just ask, Lord, you would change our heart and our desires, God. That everything that we pray for, everything that we desire, Father, would be focused on your kingdom coming. We live now here on this earth. God, give us the faith. Understand, submit, and to trust. Easier said than done, God. Lord, help us. Pray this in Jesus' name.